Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile. And if you didn't catch our last episode, it was announced that Drew Stevens is stepping aside as co-host of the Rebuildable Podcast, joining the bigs full-time covering the Chicago Bulls. So if this is your first time listening in a while, uh, I'm back to find the ship solo again. And it's it's okay. I, I want to just reiterate that very happy for Drew and that he's going to be covering the team uh, full-time for a growing media outlet. So there's definitely no hard feelings with Drew. Thrilled that he's taking this opportunity. And if you didn't hear it in the last episode, he's going to be joining us pretty frequently as a guest. So you'll still be able to catch his thoughts on the Rebuildable podcast from time to time. If you were a listener of the podcast uh, before Drew came on, um, the episodes are going to be kind of similar to what they used to be, where maybe might be a little shorter in that 25 to 30 minute range. Quick listen, maybe during your lunch break during the week and place where, you know, I'll give you my thoughts solo or have a guest come on to share some thoughts about the Chicago Bulls. And one of the things that I, I've done with this podcast over the the last, gosh, now four years is give you a high level view of the Bulls. Big picture outlook. Um the point of the podcast is to look at how the Bulls can get back to championship contention. And so we're always trying to look at some of the things that are happening in the moment, the micro, and how they relate to the macro, the big picture of how the Bulls get to that next step. So some of the uh, themed episodes might make a return uh, to the podcast. You know, I'll admit over the last few weeks, I've been trying to think like, can I continue this podcast solo? Again, been giving it a lot of thought. And I kept coming back to you, the listeners, and thinking about the momentum the podcast has had, the number of, of streams and downloads that I see coming in when these episodes drop. And it definitely gives me that motivation to get back on the microphone weekly, bi-weekly, just to provide that insight that I have and thoughts that I have. For me, it's very therapeutic to get on the mic and talk about the Chicago Bulls. But yeah, I do have to admit it. It was a little tough to think about whether or not I wanted to keep it going again. Because the last time I was doing the solo, I, I had to stop for a little bit in 2022. But a lot was going on at that point. Like job was changing. My life was changing. I was getting engaged and moving into a new place with, with my wife. A lot of things were changing in 2022. But at a certain point, I was able to reset. Drew definitely provided new energy to the podcast, gave me motivation to do it. And I feel like I, I owe it to Bulls Nation, and I feel like I owe it to myself to keep it going. So still going to be here, still providing plenty of thoughts on the Chicago Bulls going forward. Um, the good news today, don't have to do this solo because I have a guest joining me. One of my favorite guests to have on the Rebuildable podcast uh, from Bleacher Nation Bulls, Elias Schuster. Uh, definitely want to get his thoughts on the preseason because there's been some interesting, I think, takeaways before we have Elias come on. The three takeaways that I have this preseason. First, Kobe White. Uh, I think Kobe White has come out with a lot of energy and a lot of juice this preseason. Uh, there's been that challenge for the starting point guard position with him and uh, Javon Carter I would assume his name's been dropped in there, but I think, in my opinion, Kobe White's taken the bull by the horns, pun intended, and I think this is his job to lose, and I think he's going into the, the season with the starting point guard job. I, I'd be shocked if, if he doesn't get it, um, and that's nothing against you know Javon Carter, who I, I'm going to talk about a little bit later, but I think it's just Kobe White has taken and seized the opportunity. I think he just is bringing a lot more tempo when he's on the floor. I think he brings the threat of, you know, uh, spacing the floor, getting to the rim. And one of the things that I've been really impressed with since last year is what he brings defensively. I, I just think there's a lot to like about Kobe White. And, you know, you keep forgetting he's still very young. Like he might have been, you know, drafted in 2019, but he's still a younger player. And I think really just starting to enter the early portion of his prime. So there's a lot that I'm looking forward to with Kobe White. And the preseason has definitely made me feel good about what he could do this year in his development. 
Second thought that that I had, or second takeaway, coaching staff. I don't know about you, but after this last preseason game against the Raptors, I think they're still trying to see if if Patrick Williams can prove himself. And there's been things that I've liked about Patrick Williams. I've I've seen some aggressiveness on the offensive end of the floor with him that's made me encouraged. But I feel like the coaching staff and Billy Donovan especially are seeing things that they don't like. Um, and it, it, that kind of spurred from the uh, post-game press conference yesterday after the game against the Raptors where Billy Donovan brought up um, you know, the reason why he took Patrick Williams out, Patrick Williams got yanked uh, with about like two or three minutes left in the fourth quarter. And Billy Donovan said it didn't like the intensity or, or lack of aggression, rebounding the ball and setting screens. A lot has been made about Patrick Williams lack of rebounds this preseason. I'm always worried about harping on a player's rebounds because the way the game is right now, especially with outside shooting, it's a team rebounding game. I hate to lock in on a player's stats for rebounds, especially a wing, but little concerning at times. And, you know, given especially his size, his athleticism, you would expect him to have the length and the ability to run down rebounds and stuff. But um, it, it makes you think, like, are they not completely sold on Patrick Williams being in that starting rotation? Um, are they not? Are they still trying to motivate him to get to a point where you know, he's giving them the production they want. I feel like they want Patrick Williams to be a more amplified version of what uh, Tory Craig is, right? Like what Craig brings is basically a presence everywhere on the stat sheet, right? He gives you a little bit of everything, right? He could score a little bit. He could shoot the three a little bit. He can rebound. He can uh, bring you intensity defensively he's an okay passer right like he could do a little bit just to uh you know be a, a force on the floor and it's not like he's lighting up the stat sheet but he's he's impacting the game in multiple areas i think that's what they want to see from patrick williams they want to see the aggression everywhere on the floor you know not just in one area one night or, or dabbling in in certain parts of the game right like one night he's going to score a lot but maybe not rebounding the ball, not providing that energy, setting screens, uh, doing it consistently on the defense end of the floor. I think that's what they're trying to tap out of them. So that's a storyline that I'm interested to see as we start the regular season is, you know, where's Patrick Williams standing with this coaching staff? Where um, does he, how does he respond to all of this? It'll be interesting to see. And my final observation, the signings of, Javon Carter, Tory Craig, I think they look really solid. As I talked about in the offseason uh, with Drew Stevens, like in a vacuum, the signings they made will help the roster and should help the roster. Uh, and I think we saw some of that this preseason. You know, the presence that both of them bring to the floor, um, I think they give Billy Donovan the maximum opportunities to switch up his rotations when needed. And to me, that that is key. And it, it will be interesting to see how does Billy Donovan do all this as we get into the regular season. I like some of the things I saw. I actually liked a lot of the occasionally staggering uh, with either DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine with some of those uh, some of those guys off the bench. So there's a lot that that I like with those two signings because I think they give coaching staff a lot of opportunities to mix and match rotations based on matchups. So definitely be interesting to see everything as we get into the regular season and we're oh so close to it. But I want to get some additional thoughts. We have Elias Schuster coming on from Bleacher Nation Bulls. Elias, welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, inviting me back on. I feel like it's becoming a little uh, a little tradition here where I get to stop on the uh, Rebuildable podcast before every single season. And we just kind of uh, we spew some some false hope as well as uh, some concerns. And then, uh, it, yeah, we, then we just do it all over again. So I'm excited for uh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. OK, so you, you actually kicked this off perfectly by saying <laughs> spewing false hope and, or either spouting concerns. 
my first two questions actually have to do with that. So I'll just avoid all the, the other pleasantries and just get right to it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I meant. So I'll, I'll give you a chance to spew some false hope right now. Watching all the preseason action to this point, I mean, it's pretty much in the books. As you sit here today on October 18th, what do you think is the biggest positive you took away from all the preseason action from the Bulls? Yeah, well, I think pos- I, I think if there's ha- if you have to pick one uh, main positive, and then we could trickle into some other little things, I guess. But like the number one obvious thing for probably a lot of people watching and, and people listening has been Kobe White for me. Mm-hmm. I think I I wrote earlier this off season over at Bleacher Nation about how uh, I thought he deserved the the keys to the second unit, and that was the, that was going to be the right role for him. I was uh, definitely on the uh, start Javon Carter train. I just thought, not necessarily because I thought Kobe and him are vastly different in what they provide the team necessarily, but more so looking defensively. Like, I thought offensively they could provide somewhat similar things. And then defensively, I was like, well, Javon Carter's just a better um, on-ball defender, point-of-attack defender, and would make a little more sense in in, um, in that you know starting lineup. And so I think what Kobe has shown me over the course of these four games is not only that I was wrong, but that he just uh, that he's really taken or continued to take steps since last season. We saw massive improvements in ball handling, um, you know, improvements on defense as well. And just in terms of uh, his ability to stay in front of guys, his ability to read the opposing team. And I think just an overall more in control player is what he showed signs of last year. And then I think we've only seen that um, bumped up a level during this preseason. And yeah, you know, we, we have to always say with the, it, it's all with a grain of salt, right? Like this is the preseason. It's, it's, uh, we shouldn't, we, we can't draw too many concrete conclusions. However, I, I think what I've seen from white is not only enough for me to feel comfortable with him starting the season as the, as the starting point guard, but having genuine, um, you know, hope and optimism in his ability to, uh, you know, become a more, a, a more legitimate, like, rotation player and a more consistent player and a more all around player. Cause I think the scoring's there. That's never been a major question for me. I think if you give them, you know, like there's a lot of guys that you can try probably just put on a rebuilding team and they'll get you like 18 to 20 a night. Right. Like Kobe could be that guy potentially on the wizards or on like a really bad team, but it's always been more for me about like, how can he do the other things? Um, he's not a traditional point guard, but still how can he make his teammates better? How can he just get more in control of um of the floor and i think what he's shown us so far is is that's what he's ready to do and that's what he can do well and it's interesting like i think because of the way things concluded last season with kobe white when you've seen him this preseason i i think it just kind of sort of like that cherry on top of the sunday right like you started to see the signs and now when you see it in maybe a little more extended action in minutes that you see that there's that potential that it, this could be a development, you know, season or really positive developmental piece for the Bulls. Like it, the, the thing that I always forget is how young Kobe really is. Like three. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really easy to forget because, you know, he, he came in so young in 2019, 2020 that you kind of forget, like this guy is just starting to enter that prime portion of his career, the early part of it. And, it's, it definitely has got me excited before you hopped on. That was like my biggest takeaway of the preseason was the way Kobe White looked. Um, and, and to your point, like preseason basketball can be a little deceptive, but it's that eye test, I think, of yeah. seeing some of the same things you saw when the season concluded last year and some of the even subtle improvements. Well, yeah, it's so just far. It, it, yeah, it's just what it's it's yes, preseason can be a little bit, you know, scary. Like I said, scary to draw concrete conclusions from. And and it's possible that, um, you know, he struggles a bit when the games get real and, and depending on the competition that they face. But at the same time, I think, uh, as as you state, it's it's eye test, but it's also just it, you can tell when a player is is more just more comfortable on the court. Right. And I think and just understands better what his role needs to be and how he can, you know, uh, you know, big thing is uh, like promote winning, right? That's a big mm-hmm. thing that coaches like to say. And I think with, with Kobe, that's what it, just what it is for me. It's like when I play him, not only does he just look more confident and comfortable out there in what he's doing, but it's also his ability to play the game and lead the offense so far in the way that Billy Donovan wants it to be led. Because if you compare it to this to somebody 
or if we look at how the, the, the bulls have said they wanted to play, right. Which is this more up-tempo attack, which is getting into the paint, kicking out to open shooters, um, you know, and, and more off ball movement, all this stuff. Kobe has checked all those boxes this preseason. And I think he's the player that honestly has done it the best and the most consistently through every single game, because, um, you know, I will probably mention it or talk about it, but that's why a guy like Patrick Williams gets yanked in the in the fourth preseason game because he's not doing those things. But Kobe, you look at him, he's attacking off the dribble. And I think this is a stat that I shared. Um, I don't know if I shared this on, on Bleacher Nation or, or um, my own podcast, but it was, I believe, 52. I think it was like 52.4% of Kobe White shots so far in the preseason have been unassisted um, of his makes, that is. So therefore his, you know, that, that leaves about 48% of his makes that were, that have been assisted. So for me, I just like the balance there in the way that he's um, scoring the ball, which is he's doing that. What Billy Donovan wants by attacking the paint, getting inside and, and, and kind of attacking and putting pressure at the rim. But then at the same time, he's moving off the ball and, you know, he's coming off a screen an off ball screen behind the three point line and getting his catch and shoot threes and hitting those shots. So I just think he's doing a little bit of everything right now. And he's also just playing in the way uh, that this team wants to play. And when you do that as the starting point guard, right? Like that's, or that's the whole job of a starting point guard. I should say, like, that's what you want to see is the point guard is the one setting the tone. It's it's really amazing how the switch has flipped because I feel like two years ago when we were talking about Kobe white being a starting point guard for Billy Donovan, I wouldn't say it was a complete disaster, but it just, something just didn't seem right. Like something just seemed off and, to kind of see that switch flip and hey again it could just be maturity like just all yeah. things are kind of coming together the game's slowing down for him i hate to use that that's like a big cliche in sports right the game is slowing down for him but it it definitely looks that way but like you um, said he's 23 you know yeah. so it, it's it's t- and it's his fourth it was well last year was his fourth this will be his fifth year in the league like when you come mm-hmm. in at 19 you go through jim boylan like you go yeah, through well. different ro- different roles, you go through you know a massive roster change, all this stuff. Like uh, Kobe's gone through a lot of different roles throughout his. He's played a lot of different roles throughout his career. And you always have. I think that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just gonna say I think that that um I think that also plays a role in his progress and what we're seeing right now, which is you know by playing all those in all those different spots, like he it's made him a little more adaptable and it's kind of honed his craft in different ways. Yeah, I was going to say, you you sometimes have to, I think, grade on a curve because of the Jim Boylan effect. So, <laughs> so something that always is, you got to keep in the back of your mind. So again, the big positive, you mentioned Kobe White. Is there a, a big concern that you took away from the games this preseason? Well, I think for me, it's, it, I like to say, I think what I wrote in a post earlier this week was, um, specifically when talking about Patrick Williams, who is one of my, who is a little bit of one of my concerns, but there's a more overarching concern is that there's the encouraging in the preseason and then there's the less encouraging, right? Like, I don't want to, it, it just because like we said, it is a, it is the preseason. So just like how we have to take the good with the grain of salt, I think we have to take the bad. And for me, um, there's been, there's been a couple of things and, and one of them, which is the over more over, overarching one is this concept of the first game we saw how the offense, everything they said, I think came to fruition. Like the first, that first, uh, what was it? Eight minutes kind of of the first quarter, the offense was doing exactly what they said they wanted to do in media day and uh, post-practice, you know, interviews. And it, the team was running up and down the court. They were playing up tempo, all that stuff that we talked about that Kobe White's kind of trying to help generate getting into the paint. Uh, and, and over the last three games, I've kind of seen that, that, uh, and not them slip back in their old ways because I do think they deserve credit for uh, trying and actively looking to push this uh, push this offense forward, this new look offense forward. But when you look at a game like the one a couple nights ago against Toronto, what worries me is, uh, and there's a there's something you could say about the fact that Toronto's defense is also just very tough. They've been a touch ma- tough matchup for Chicago the past couple of years, so it could have just. This, this could have been, been largely due to Toronto's uh, wing defense. However, the way I look at it is I think what we saw in that game was a lot of getting into the paint. They were definitely emphasizing that, but then they weren't taking advantage of the rest, which is the whole point of getting into the paint, again, is that you're supposed to be passing out uh, to, you know, you're supposed to be spacing the floor and hitting some um, shooters on kickouts, or, you know, you're supposed to be uh, finding guys on cuts and guys are supposed to be moving and flying around. 
And I think what we saw is that emphasis to get into the paint, but not them taking advantage of what that creates for them, if that makes sense. So what I started to get worried about is the starters played the most minutes that they have all preseason against Toronto, and the team shot the fewest threes that they have thus far. And it's looking like they did last year again, where they're just not emphasizing the three ball. And same thing, they weren't getting to the free throw line. And and I think that's been a big point of emphasis, right? It's not only shoot more threes, but it's like if you're going to drive into the paint, then go aggressive and try to draw a foul and get to the line. What they were doing was getting into the paint and then just not really anything happening. So that's a big fear of mine and a concern kind of with this Bulls team is, is their inability to kind of do the next thing and connect all the dots. It's like... You know, they, they, they're a very kind of one dimensional team and not only the way that they've played in the past, which that ISO ball kind of thing, but also in their mindset, which is like, OK, yeah, we can do that. We can try to get into the pain. We can be more assertive there. But then can they connect the rest of the dots and, and do what else is needed after they do that? So, um, yeah, I, I think just the fact that we haven't seen the threes increase in the way that that they said they would, the fact that the free throw, um, you know, the free throw attempts haven't necessarily gone up is a bit of a concern. And, uh, and so it's a work in progress, the whole thing. But I think the fact that there hasn't been a little more there is a bit concerning. So you brought up the name Patrick Williams. Um, and I brought up before you hopped on that the comments that Billy Donovan made in his post game presser against, uh, the Raptors on Tuesday night was kind of a, an eyebrow raiser. Um, so, of course, he pulls Patrick Williams with about two or three minutes left in the fourth quarter. And the big reason that he uh, shared with the media was the lack of aggression with rebounding the basketball, setting screens. And one of the things that I brought up was, you know, I, I, that I'm not a big fan of harping on rebounding stats for an individual player, usually because it, with the way the game is now, like rebounds are more of a team stat. Um, sure. but you would hope with an energetic lengthy wing, like Patrick Williams, that he would be taking advantage of those opportunities and grabbing, you know, rebounds at a higher clip than he is this preseason. Um, I, I don't know, like the way I read into it, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. I feel like it was their way of calling him out because they just don't see consistent aggression in aggressiveness in all areas of the game. Yeah. Like I think they want him to be Tory Craig on steroids. Like one of the things mm -hmm. that we like about Craig is that he can impact a game in multiple ways. And it's, it's not by stuffing the stat sheet. It's by having a small impact, you know, scoring the ball occasionally and shooting the three it's, being disruptive on the defensive side of the floor. It's, you know, being able to be a willing passer, being able to get rebounds and get out in space, like all of that. He finds ways to impact the game consistently and aggressively. And I just feel like maybe this coaching staff is thinking, you know, Pat, you have all the tools and the physical makings to be a monster. Go do it. And that was the tone that I, I kind of got. I, what were your thoughts on just what Billy said? And um, how do you think that that pack can start building more of that trust and faith in the coaching staff? Yeah, well, I think it. I, I think you're right. I think definitely the decision is, is more so about um, everything and not just the rebounding. Now I have I, earlier in, in a post today at Bleacher Nation, I did write a little bit about um, Patrick Williams rebounding stats and, and how I, I found that to be somewhat concerning for this preseason. But for me, what it connects to even more than just looking at the, 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 sim the simple numbers of the rebounding. I think why that's a that's a somewhat of a point of emphasis, especially by this coaching staff, is rebounding can just be a sign of aggression. Could just be a, a when you're a good rebounder, a good rebounder, you're normally like a pretty a relatively aggressive player, unless you're like Nikola Vucevic, right? Like Nikola Vucevic, good defensive rebounder, but I, I don't think anyone would consider him like an ultra aggressive player. But he's huge. He's just a big guy. He can he's he's decently aggressive in the post, but. Um, you know, rebounding can be a sign of aggression. And so I think that's why a lot of people always talk about it. And it's one of the most obvious signs. But what Pat, uh, what, what Billy Donovan uh, talked about, and I think your um, your former co-host Drew, you know, he posted a video of, of Donovan talking about this also earlier today at, at practice, which um, I thought was a good, uh, just a good quote from Billy. And I won't read the whole thing, but for, you know, to paraphrase him. Um, yeah, he, he pointed out just that ag aggressiveness doesn't need to be 
these things like rebounding or, or, or whatever, it can be as simple as setting a, a firm screen or, you know, noticing when the defense goes under the screen and then taking the three and not just passing it up. And so, or when you're driving and somebody gets on your hip, you continue going to the rim instead of immediately passing out of it just because you feel that level of physicality and you get nervous. And I think that's something that we have all seen Williams struggle with, right? Which is not only the hesitation on shooting the three, which I think he has gotten better at, and he, he did toward, especially in the second half of last year, but just the, the, the level of aggression, just like this fear of not wanting to make the wrong decision. And so I think when he, even when he starts driving into the paint sometimes and he feels that contact, even though he has all the strength in the world and all the talent in the world to rise up and still finish, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll have that uh, tendency to pass out of it or, or for, you know, just kind of stop in his tracks. And so it's a, it's a big mindset thing, I think for him. And honestly, the way I read these quotes from, from Billy last night and today is, is just frustration, right? Like they have tried over and over to talk to Pat about, you know, playing more aggressive because as you stated too, he has all these physical traits. He should have the ability to do it all. And we've seen it in, in flashes, but um, there's something about his mindset where he's just not doing it. And maybe it's because of the way he does see the game. He's super young too, right? He's um, you know, he came into the league as the second youngest prospect in that draft. So I think you, the you know, as you gain confidence and you feel like you see the game better, it's, it's obviously easier to play with aggression. Um, but I think, it's, yeah, it's just tough because I, I think maybe he doesn't feel like, because he says all the right stuff to the media. He says he's trying to fix it. He says he's trying to improve. But clearly there's a disconnect there. And maybe it's just founded on, hey, my IQ isn't there yet. And therefore I don't feel confident doing it. But that's not, you wish that wasn't the case, right? You, you just wish that he, um, even if he his IQ wasn't there, he just had that that false like optimism that sometimes gets players in trouble. Like that, that, those type of players that just like Dalen Terry almost is one of those guys, right? Like he has the mindset. He doesn't have the tools. <laughs> so like Dalen will just fly into the rim and be a wild card and like, isn't afraid of anything. And so if you could just put like Dalen's mindset into Pat, then you'd get what the bulls want. Oh my gosh. You, you basically said what Chicago bears fans used to say about quarterbacks. You know, if, if you took <laughs> Kyle Orton's brain and put Rex Grossman's arm on it, you'd have a good right. quarterback. Like that's exactly <laughs> what that's like. Right. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll ask you this question then. So, you know, you mentioned that Kobe White in your mind has now, you know, locked in that starting point guard spot. Who do you think is going to get that starting power forward spot? Do you think this has put a a ding in that for Patrick Williams and it's Tory Craig's job now? Or do you think Pat still has a shot at it? Well, I would I would think... You know, I think the safe answer right now by me, I like to play it safe, is that he that, that Pat is your starter on opening night. I think fans should expect Pat to be in the in the starting lineup. Now, Billy can surprise us. Um, you know, he he it's not like he changes lineups a lot, but he's de- he's definitely not um, scared to mix and match, I think, with the starting lineup. And also we saw him, you know, bench Patrick Williams midway through last season. So I think. Uh, you know, it's possible that he makes a last minute change and then tomorrow will be a big tell too. I mean, I don't know when, when people are listening to this, but we have one more preseason game against Minnesota to watch and, you know, we'll see what, what the starters look like then. If it's everybody that's normal, except Craig, except uh, instead of Patrick Williams, then we could, then, then you can start to get a little um, or start to think something about what we might see on opening night. But I think for me right now, I'm still expecting it to be Patrick Williams. Um, I'm also expecting, which is I've kind of always expected uh, the staggering, um, which Billy Donovan has done in the preseason thus far, I expect Patrick Williams to start. I expect him to be staggered into the second unit to hopefully draw out a more aggressive offensive minded Pat and have him be one of the primary scorers with that group. And then Craig, um, you know, plays out the rest of the first quarter with largely with the starters. But I think, and I wrote about this today is the leash is extremely small. Like it's just extremely short, I should say. Like it's clear, I think, at this point, especially after watching Billy Donovan yank him last night, as well as the decision to remove him from the starting lineup um, midway through last season and put him on the bench. Like I just think they've had enough with it. Where if they don't see what they like, or Pat isn't showing the ability to play more aggressive out of the gate, then yeah, they're gonna go put him on. I think they would, they would, they wouldn't hesitate to to make the switch. So. Um, I think that he will start there. I just think that it's very possible if he continues to underwhelm, then it will move to Tory Craig, who I will be perfectly fine with starting because I 
I think it should be a debate. I think that Craig will continue to put a lot of pressure on Pat. And the question is going to be, does Pat rise to the occasion or does he kind of continue to, to crumble under that pressure? Cause Tory Craig's doing all the right stuff right now. No, agreed. And you know, the, the one thing I will say, like if Patrick Williams does end up, you know, with the second unit, like I'm fine with that. Um, especially if you Me continue, too. if you're Billy Donovan, you continue to stagger these lineups. Um, I, I care mostly about whether or not he's more in position to finish games. And if he's showing you that level of intensity and aggressiveness with the second unit over the course of the season, then I think he's going to probably still earn those opportunities to to close out games. And to me, like that matters to me most, because then it means that there's a, a corner being turned and, it, and who knows, maybe it's just maybe he feeds off of that better just being in, in that second unit setting. But yeah, because I think maybe he maybe he needs I, I guess, you know, if we're if we're trying to look for what the positives could be is that, you know, he, he does go out with that second unit. He does. I think he's he's a little bit of a streaky guy in, the, in at least in terms of his mindset. Right. Like he has to see a couple shots go in and then he starts to be more aggressive. And I think that's what we saw um, still still even in the game uh, against the Nuggets where he went off for those 20 points and, and a lot of fans got excited. Um, you know, it, it's. It, but those are again are the flashes that we continue to see from him. We've seen it at times at the end of the regular season when the starters sit and then Patrick goes off for 20 to 30 points or whatever. But I think that uh, what, what that showed at least a little bit is that, um, you know, he scored a little, he hit a three, whatever it was, he opened up with like a three, a mid range jumper. And then, you know, we saw a little bit more of, of the Pat we want to see, which is Io gets an offensive rebound. He dive cuts to the rim and it's an easy finish over, over Jokic. And then uh, later in the, in the game, you see him, get the ball and, and uh, take Peyton Watson off the dribble. Zeke Najee's right there. He does a little hesitation move and, and gets Najee off balance, rises up strong and finishes um, and finishes the layup. And like, those are the type of plays that you're like, okay, there it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. And that's what you can do with the starters too. That's what you can do. But I think it's just, he's not, he needs to see some shots go in or some, something to happen where, where you can pull that out of him. Cause he's not just bringing that from the start of games. So we know that, Championship contention is not likely probable, whatever you want to say. Like it, it's just <laughs> yeah. get that thought out of your head. But they did make solid improvements to the roster, like in a vacuum. Uh, I said this to, to Drew a lot this offseason that they definitely made improvements that should make the team better. Overall, what do you think that ceiling is in 2024 for the Chicago Bulls? Oof, it's a tough question, right? I think, uh, it, yeah, for me, it's if we're assuming, let's just assume health. Let's assume that this team stays healthy. Let's assume, um, you know, the the team doesn't do a sell off of some kind. Under that, under those assumptions, if if everything were to go right, and we talk about a ceiling for this team, then you know, like you said, it's there's you're nowhere close to championship contention. Uh, depending on seeding, uh, you know, maybe you're squeaking out a first round series before you get like swept in the second round or something. But my guess would be, you know, you're a, you're a competitive first round out. Like that's that's what maybe your your ceiling is at with this team, or a non competitive second round exit is is maybe where you'd have to you'd have to think because, um, and it all again depends on seeding. Like maybe you draw the right matchup, and then when the playoffs you never know what can happen but yeah i think it's clear that this group um you know this group isn't isn't contending with the with the, they don't have the star power unless somebody really breaks out unless zach levine takes some sort of massive leap that um you know we're not expecting even though i think he can have an all-star caliber year it's not going to be like he's playing at the level of these other superstars in the east uh and there's a ton of middle teams in the middle too like there's a lot of teams in this eastern conference that are going to be competing for playoff spots so um yeah, it's it's you know a good season, a successful season for them. Obviously, would be a, a would be getting to a second round. I think that'd be a success. And then a competitive first round series would be a somewhat success after last year. But to me, it still wouldn't justify, which I'd be I'd be scared it would to this front office. It still would not justify a reasoning to continue with whatever they have right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, been talking about it a lot this off season. Like, looking at the Eastern Conference. Um, yeah, even. Even with Dame Willard in the picture in Milwaukee, you just see like an opportunity after that 
top portion, right? Like it, it, the East just seems so Definitely. top heavy with Boston and Milwaukee. And, you know, it, you start looking and at it's just like, those two. Right. Right. You, <laughs> then like, you, you start looking, here. Yeah. Yeah. You, you start looking at Philly and it's like, oh, there's still a lot of questions about Philly and, and James Harden. Uh, what are they going to do? Cleveland to me is a team I could see taking a step up and I'm, I kind of have them as a sneaky dark horse this year, but I wouldn't say they're they're world beaters by any stretch. Same with right. the Knicks, same with a lot of those. Like, it just seems like this big pile of mid just sitting here oh, in the Eastern sure. Conference. Yeah. Um, but then you, you look at some of those teams that were on the outside looking in Indian, you know, the Indiana Pacers, the Orlando Magic. And it's interesting to see, like, how this is all going to all going to shape up like I definitely it, just in my opinion like I'm I'm 100 with you like I, I think the Bulls have this ceiling of first round playoff team could even be in the playoff picture not in the play-in like I could see them sneaking in at six. Oh, I could see them sneaking in at six yeah definitely yeah, and, like, I think, and, and the main reason is because like you said all that all those teams in the middle but for me it's like you know I I just think if if you're sitting there and you're looking at all those teams in the middle, this is one way that I think about it. And mm. you look at all these young teams, which a lot of teams, a lot of people like, and I don't, I don't blame them for, I like them too. I like what the Pacers are doing. I like what the magic are doing. Like some of these younger squads that are looking to enter the mix. Like if I had to pick though, between, you know, one of those teams breaking out this season or, you know, a team like the bulls who does have three veterans and added a couple players that f- filled some, you know, fill some holes for them and whatever. Like, even though they're they're they are mid, no one's denying it. If I had to pick between those two teams, I'd probably, I made the safe choice earlier. I would go with the safe choice, which I honestly think is the bulls in this case, which is like, mm-hmm. okay, they have a couple teams that have done it before they have DeRozan. you know, he's a two, he's an all-star the last two years. They have Levine entering the season healthy. He was an all-star. Like we're not talking about anything super exciting here, but it's like, if I had to, to say like, could they at least, fend off an Indiana if they had to if to to finish with a higher seating or fend off a magic team like these young teams rising like sometimes we have a tendency to go with the unknown to go with the the mm-hmm. you know flashy young prospects which eventually they'll all get there but sometimes you just have those teams that are like yeah this team's just good it's like Toronto the past handful of years like Toronto's just you know yes they won a championship is different but still like Kawhi was gone they just had a good core like they've just have some good players that have been there done that and they're they're veterans and they would just continue to stay in the mix and i just think that's what chicago could do yeah it, and i think that's what's painful for me cuz like i think you kind of know like the view we try to take on on the podcast is how can the bulls get back to championship contention and this is where if you look at it again in a vacuum you're like this year short term yeah they're better but would I rather have long-term Indiana, Orlando's outlook just with the younger roster, <laughs> yeah, more flexibility? Absolutely. That's what I would rather have. And, I, and it's painful because there are things I like with this team, and I feel like there are ways you can kind of rework it. Um, I think that that's the, the frustrating part because I'm just a little worried, like, is this going to be a year of, of false hope that the front office is going to have? That's that's what's kind of making me a little uneasy. Um, and it kind of feeds into something you wrote about. And I, I definitely want to touch on this because I think you did a really good breakdown uh, about a month ago for Bleacher Nation mm-hmm. Bulls, where you looked at those first 25 games of the Bulls schedule. And it's a bit of a grinder when you look at it. Um, and it really could, as, as you painted in, in that article, and I definitely encourage bulls nation to go check that out if they haven't read it yet um it really could paint a picture of what this team is um and one of the things that i kind of threw out there i know drew and i talked about when he was co-hosting over the summer um you know what record would they have to be at for you know ak and mark eversley to feel you know, comfortable staying the course. And I mm-hmm. guess I'm going to throw that question to you since you were the writer of the piece. Like, is there a record that you think the Bulls need to be at for Acme to keep this together and not consider a reset? Um. Well, let me, th- hmm, I haven't thought about an exact number, but let me, let me first say that I think, um, I, I, I have some fears about the, the, the situation where at the trade deadline, either they are um, 
let's see, either they're, you know, let's say they are underachieving at the trade deadline. Um, or not underachieving, but hovering around like, you know, a little bit under 500, something like that. Like, I, I definitely, um, you know, fear that they could just keep going, which we've already seen them do. And they go like, well, we're going to actually trade for someone and give up more assets to get somebody. Or, oh, we're actually going to just like grab a buyout guy and, and we're going to keep going because that's how how dedicated we are to winning. And then um, same thing as if they're if they're even slightly overachieving. Like if they're, you know, like a few games over 500 by chance, like, or let's say right at 500, even like, I, I definitely have worries that they're going to be like, oh, we're in a good spot. Like we don't need to, um, you know, we're, we're, we're feeling good about things. And, and I don't know, I just could see a situation where regardless, they're, they're going to just like stick to it and, or try to add and not go in the direction that they should. But, but if there was a number for me, you know, like then I guess with that said, I think that number would have to be like, several games below 500 with the trade deadline creep creeping up like you know maybe five six seven games like under for them to just be like all right we got it and then it depends on what the rest of the eastern conference picture looks like too right like because what yeah. if you know five games under 500 or um not even five let's go to like seven games under 500 eight games 500 500 what if that has you in the in the you know right only a two games out from the eight seed or the seven seed like then they're just going to hold they're going to hold out this hope that's what the problem too with having such a mid like a a, a mid group that is just everyone's in the, on the kind of the same level uh that's the scary thing so it, it's hard I, for me it's just hard to put a number on it especially with how this front how consistent this front office has been with the whole continuity thing like i've tried to talk myself into the idea that they, they'll finally jump off that ship this year if they have to especially with DeMar DeRozan's contract situation. Mm. But at the same time, all we've seen them do is, is stick to their guns. So um, it's tough. But at, but just as you say, too, going back to that article, like that's why the, 25, the first 25 games of the season, I think, are super important. And Positive Residual, which is a great website, and, and they, do, uh, they, they look at stuff with the con- – they, they break down the schedule for every team each season, and I encourage everyone to go there. And, um, you know, they gave Chicago the ninth hardest strength of schedule in the league from October 25th to December 16th. And look, it's, it, you can't necessarily put too much stock and strength of st- schedule stats right now. Cause we don't know what every team looks like, but it still gives you a somewhat idea of how, how that, how that, um, that stretch is supposed to stack up to the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. And just to, to point out some matchups that they'll face over that stretch. Um, you have four games against the heat. You have three games against the bucks you have two matchups with the Denver Nuggets. You have a battle with the Suns and Celtics. So, like, you're going to be – there's going to be a lot of big games in in, the, in that, those first 25 games. And I, I'm curious to see how they do. And, and, and will the front office have the guts if they don't come out the other end of those 25 games to make a big move or, or finally make a decision on which direction they were headed? We'll see. It's, it's such a – a oddly structured schedule too, because you mentioned like some of the key matchups. Those matchups with the Heat, like they're going to play the Heat all four times in that span. And in series too, back to back. I think I, both times. It's nuts. Yeah, they get two. They play the Heat twice at home, back to get back games, and then they travel to Miami and play the Heat in back to back games. Like it's a very interesting way of structuring um, the schedule out. But yeah, and then you, you got know, three battles with Dame and Giannis. Yeah, it's it. It definitely is going to be, I think, an interesting barometer. Um, and I, I guess but I will question- say, I will say real quick, yeah. one thing I'll add too. one thing that that also scares me is then after that, the schedule, uh, according to positive residuals, the fifth easiest. And again, mm-hmm. the strength of schedule stuff is it, it can all change very quickly once the, the league, the, the season actually starts. But the point is, once you look past December, you know, you look past the new year, even in January, like there's wins that could be stacked there. And mm-hmm. I think that's what scares me, too, about what this front office might do. And, and and if we look at them, if we look at a world where they don't do anything, then we need to go back to the schedule in my eyes, because uh, let's say they struggle a ton in these first 25 games and they aren't beating the teams that they should be to, to actually prove that they can hang in the mix. Then they're eating up, you know, stacking wins in this later portion because they're facing some of these uh some of these technically worse off teams or whatever, like 
then they're going to, and then they'll go, Oh, well, look, we, we strung together wins and we're actually doing well and everything, but it's like, are those the wins that matter? Or are you doing it? So I just think if, if, um, if they do stay the course, um, and they're like, because they're hovering around that 500 mark or whatever, like we should look back at, at the schedule and see, okay, where are the wins actually coming from? Because the whole point of this season is supposed to be, um, last year we beat good teams, but lost to bad teams. The year before that we beat bad teams and lost to good teams. This year is supposed to be putting it all together. So I think keeping track of that's the of actually where the winds are coming is going to be important. Yeah. And, you know, I would not be surprised, though, if we get the bizarro bowls effect and they come out of that stretch like 13 and 12 or, <laughs> yeah. you know, 14 yeah. and 11 and then drop a bunch of easy games uh, coming right. into the new year. That wouldn't surprise me either. That actually might be best possible scenario, though, for, for everyone yeah. that wants them to blow it up, because then it's then like, yeah, I mean, that makes it even harder if they start losing the Hornets a bunch and like all these other games like then it's like, OK, now you have to start selling. Like if you're above 500 against the good teams and then yeah, you finally start dropping all these other ones. Maybe the, that gives them more incentive to do something. I don't know why, but when I first read that piece, the number that kept sticking in my head that like the record that stuck in my head in those 25 games was 12 and 13 and saying if they come out of that 12 and 13 or 13 and 12, either one of those kind of hovering around 500, it's it's uneven, so it can't really be 500. I <laughs> yeah. felt like that's a good I would actually feel pretty good. Like you got through a very tough, tough portion of your schedule with some areas to fatten up. And then if they fatten up, I, I then think there, there could be some positivity to glean from, from what we've seen before the trade deadline. So yeah, if they're getting, if they're getting, if they get wins against those teams that we listed, which again are are some of the best teams in the league and in the East, uh, particularly like then, yeah, then I think that, like you said, if they're if they're twelve and thirteen, considering how tough that stretch is, like I, I would be somewhat optimistic as well, especially because that probably means you, you know, maybe you stole two from Miami, two before, maybe you stole, you know, um, one from Milwaukee and 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 or one from the defending champs. Like it just means that you definitely got some good wins on the calendar already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. So it's definitely going to be a, a fun portion of of the season. This early part is going to be must see basketball, and in some cases, like it's easy for NBA fans to kind of, you know, want to pay more attention to the back half of the season. But I think in this case, this could be, you know, the, the portion of the schedule that really does tell the story of, of the Bulls season. Um, yeah. So, all right. As we wrap up here, Elias, so we sit here on October 18th and I, I have to ask <laughs> for the dreaded prediction. Yeah. What do you think the Bulls record? is going to be in what position do you think they're going to finish in the Eastern conference when the regular season wraps up? Okay. Well, I told you before, before, before we started uh, recording here that mm-hmm. I usually um, really struggle with my, to, to, to pick a number or to have a, a projection. And, and this year, for some reason, it was, it's actually been the easiest um, for me that it's been. So it, it un, under the assumption again, that this is a healthy team that they, uh, don't make any moves. That's going to, I'm not, I'm not a sports book, so I'm not making over unders and factoring the potential of a sell-off. Like that's what I think a lot of these, these sports books have done with like 37 game over under numbers and things. Like I think that they are 37 wins. I should say, I think they've factored in a, a trade deadline sell-off or, or getting rid of DeRozan or something. Assuming they stay the course. Like I think this is a 43 win team, hmm. you know, like 43 to 44 wins is where I would have them. Um, now I think, where does that put them? Again, good question. Uh, I've necessarily thought about seeding positioning. Uh, forty-three and forty-four could be a big difference in just those two numbers alone. But let's say they're uh, let's go with forty-three wins. Um, you know, because actually I'm feeling better about forty-three as I talk. Forty-three or the over forty-four. <laughs> forty-three wins. Uh, you know, that's pro- what that'll probably get you at like an eight seed, maybe a mm. seven seed. I still think that this team is a. Um, I think they're probably a top of the play in tournament. If I had to, if I had to pick right now and again, if everybody stays healthy, I think their ceiling, like we said, is maybe squeaking that six, six seed. And, um, but I don't think they'll reach that ceiling or anything. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think play in tournament, upper end of the play in tournament is where this team, uh, in my mind, they sit right now. Well, that's certainly an improvement from last year. No. Yes, it is an improvement, but then it's technically a downgrade from the year before. But I think it's like that's where, the, yeah, that's where I see them. Like that's where they should have been last year. So mm-hmm. it's like maybe they get to where they were last year. Um, 
And yeah, that, that that's probably what my guess would be. I think it's a, a but then if they if they go the different direction and finally sell off, of course, then who knows? Maybe then then you're you're definitely looking at you're just working for lottery balls at that point. Hmm. Well, okay. Well, now we're holding you to it, so you can't change anything. Forty three, <laughs> you're locked in. They're definitely going to be yeah. Even when they trade DeRozan and Levine yes. at the deadline, I'm still yeah. locked into forty three. You're locked in. You're sorry, <laughs> can't get out of it. There's no nuance here. Nuance is dead, Elias. Um, no, that's fine. That's well, I'll get it tattooed <laughs> on my arm. There you go. Um, okay, so before I spring you loose, um, where can everybody read your work, follow you, also listen to you now because you 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 did mention you now have a podcast. So where can people find you, all your your great bulls work? Um, yeah, I, I, uh, well, thank you for, for saying that, but I, <laughs> uh, you could follow up uh, Bleacher Nation Bulls. So that's at BN underscore Bulls on Twitter, uh, just Bleacher Nation Bulls on Facebook. And, uh, you, you can also go to BleacherNation.com. That's where you can read all the work. Um, BleacherNation.com also covers all of Chicago sports. So great stuff on the Cubs, uh, the Bears, um, the Blackhawks, especially right now, Connor Bedard, the Blackhawks are, are uh, cooking with gas. They're the most uh, most encouraging team in the league. So go to Bleacher Nation to read about them. But uh, yeah, with the season starting, that's where all my content will be. You can follow me um, on Twitter at Schuster underscore Elias. Um, I, I also just tweet about Bulls stuff, basically. But I mean, I also run the Bulls account. So just a mix of I don't want to sometimes I don't want to bombard the Bulls account. So I just tweet from mine and then retweet with that one. Um, the yeah, so you can find me there. And then our podcast. Uh, yeah, this is a newer thing. And and actually today we announced that the show will definitely be Bulls centric. Uh, it's gone through a couple different <laughs> phases here. First, it was a hobby fun thing. Then we kind of added it more to a, a legitimate work thing. And and with the season finally gearing up here, we've we've just, made sure to clarify that this will be a bulls podcast. We will talk about the bulls every single week, uh, multiple times a week. So points in the podcast that's called, you can find links to it on bleacher nation. Like I said, but also just look it up on Spotify or Apple points in the podcast. We will, uh, had an episode out today talking about the preseason. So you can uh, listen to us there. Bulls nation. You definitely got to check out Elias's work. If you haven't already, he does a great job, um, you know, writing about the team. And I think it, Really looking forward to listening to you more on, you know, at the microphone and, and getting your thoughts there. Uh, keep crushing, Elias, and thanks for coming on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, you can follow the Rebuild the Bull podcast at Rebuild underscore A underscore Bull on X or Twitter or whatever the hell you want to call it. You can follow me at mgentile 88 um, If you do want to get the latest episodes of the Rebuild the Bull podcast, you know where to find us. All the major streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, wherever you stream your podcasts, you'll find the Rebuildable Podcast there. This is the new era of the Rebuildable Podcast with me flying solo. So appreciate you listening and we'll see you soon, Bulls Nation. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.